pray for um, um, my brain, Bridget. Um, she's at uh, Mayo right now, and so uh, she had some tests today, and so then she'll be uh, going into surgery tomorrow. We're not quite sure what all it is. They'll determine that as through the tests and so forth, but we know what we know. We know that by the stripes of Jesus she has been healed and no weapon formed against her shall prosper. For the greater one lives within her, and she is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away, all things have become new, and uh, the devil has no authority in her life. Uh, he's come to, to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that she might have life and that she might have it more abundantly. Hallelujah. So, Father, we just pray for Bridget tonight. We thank you that she is healed by the stripes of Jesus. And so, Father, we just speak to any rebellious cells and we command them right now in the name of Jesus to line up, to, obe to be obedient. And those cells that are, that are damaged, we command them to uh, leave her body right now in Jesus' name. And so, Father, we thank you for medical science. We thank you for the doctors and the nurses, everybody that's involved. But, Father, we know that you're a miraculous God. And so we just pray for a manifestation of your healing power right now in her life, in Jesus' name, that it might be a testimony of your goodness, of your love, of your greatness. And so, Father, we give you the praise and the honor tonight in Jesus' name. And then we ask you to bless this time, that everything that we share here tonight will bring you glory and honor. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the victory that is truly ours through Christ Jesus. And so bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're uh, finishing up our series tonight. Um, it's a good thing because we wouldn't know where to pick up in the fall. But uh, we're, we're finishing it up tonight. Um, so we've been talking about um, the believer's authority. And you know what? <clears throat> I'm really glad that we are finishing the year off with this message. Um, and I pray um, that everybody will, will take um, these messages seriously and apply them in your life uh, because it just appears to me that there is so much, so many attacks upon the lives of believers. And uh, it's, it's about time that we Stop just laying down and taking it. Uh, it's time for us to recognize who our adversary is and realize that we have authority in the name of Jesus to take authority over him and to, to bind him uh, and to forbid him um, from continuing to bring death and destruction into our lives. And so I just pray that as we've spent 10 weeks now, counting tonight, uh, 10 weeks talking about this subject um, that a little bit of it has sunk in. Um, what I'm hoping is that you, you take the notes that we've had uh, through the summer and uh, or through the, the spring and you use them this summer because obviously since we don't have church on Wednesday nights, you won't have anything to do on Wednesday nights. 
And so you'll just take that time to uh, review your notes and so forth. And if you don't have a, a complete set of notes, just get a hold of me. I've got a complete set of notes and, and I'll make copies of them for you. And what else? You know what you could really do this summer? You could have a home Bible study and you could, uh, you could teach on this uh, because the notes that you have are the same notes that I use. And so you can take what I've given to you and expand upon it. And then if it, you, you can invite me. So, uh, but, uh, but I just, you know, you know, make the most of it, you know, uh, because uh, we're, we're in a serious time. We're in a battle. And uh, so we need to know what, what Jesus has done for us. Well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Exodus 32. Now, the reason tonight in the beginning, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to hopefully put to rest some spiritual cows. Um, you know, because a lot of times we've got things that we practice in Christendom that either is totally off base because we pulled it out of the secular world or we're operating in the wrong dispensation. And so <clears throat> why I want to look at Exodus 32 is this is an example, um, and I, I've done it myself, forgive me in the name of Jesus, you know, but, I, but oftentimes within churches and ministries, if you hear them teach on especially intercessory prayer, um, this is a portion of scripture that they'll use. And uh, they're using Moses as the example as the, as, of the intercessor. And the thing about it is, in the dispensation that it's recorded in, in the Old Covenant, what Moses did was accurate. But it doesn't apply to the dispensation or the New Covenant that we're in right now. And so it's important for us to understand this. And so let's read it, <clears throat> and then I'll, I'll talk about it a little more. But beginning in verse 7, and it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt are, uh, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside. Now that's something we can learn from. They've corrupted themselves because of um, their thought because of their activity and so forth. You know, we, we want to blame the devil for everything. But, you know, it's, it's like we talked on Sunday about um, what we see, what we hear, what we speak. Those are doors that we open up for the enemy to come in and bring deception into our life. And so these, these children of Israel, they, they, to an extent, they knew God. But it says that they, they corrupted themselves. And then we go on into verse 8. And they turned <clears throat> aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. 
They have made themselves a molded, a molded calf and worshipped it, it and, sanctify, and sacrificed to it and said, This is our God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. And so God's saying, because of their corruption, because of what they've done, I'm just going to wipe them out and start all over again. And so then we go down into the 11th verse, and Moses pleaded with the Lord. And so this is where we get the idea that, that um, Moses is a type of, of an intercessor and how he pleaded with the Lord, uh, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? With great power and with, great, with a mighty hand, why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out <clears throat> to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face, consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath, and deny from uh, the, and re relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all, <clears throat> all as this land that I have spoken of give to your descendants and they shall inherit it. So the Lord relented, which is the same word as repented, relented from the harm which he had said he would do to the people. And so he say, well, pastor, why, why doesn't that apply to us today? Well, because number one, God isn't bringing judgment down on us. God isn't going to harm us. God isn't going to destroy us because Jesus took those things upon himself. Now, I, I believe in intercessory prayer. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I believe in intercessory prayer. But intercessory prayer that we have today under the new covenant is far different than the intercessory prayer that was performed under the old covenant. Because under the, under the new covenant, the intercessory prayer that we have for individuals is for God to manifest his will in the lives of the people. Under the old covenant, um, the judgment was coming upon them, the harm was coming upon them. And so here we have a case where Moses interceded for them and God said he was going to destroy them. But he repented. That means he turned and, and, and went the other way. Um, but notice why it was going to happen was because of their deeds. We're not <clears throat> judged according to our deeds. Under the new covenant, we are not judged according to our deeds. We're judged based on one principle, one truth, and one alone. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If we've 
if we've done that, if we've received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then the judgment has already been made upon us, and that judgment is that we are innocent. That means that God isn't mad at us anymore. God isn't going to bring his wrath upon us anymore because God poured his wrath, his judgment upon Jesus. It's such a hard principle for us to get a hold of. We'll accept the fact that Jesus suffered hell so that we can go to heaven. But oftentimes, that's as far as we will go with it. We need to realize that the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus. And so that wrath that was poured upon Jesus, he was our substitute, that wrath will not be poured out upon us, his children. And so like I said, this is, a, this is an example of uh, Old Testament intercession. I want us to see another passage, and it's in your notes, but it comes from 1 Timothy, and it's talking about Jesus, 1 Timothy 2, the fifth chapter, and it says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. You know, so in the Old Covenant, um, Mike, you go down and tell him to turn that down. If it's that loud up here, it's way too loud for him down there. And I don't know about you, as a parent, I would prefer that my children's ears would not be blown out of their skull. So, uh, so everybody would be mad at me, but I'm old. I'm used to it. I can handle it. Praise the Lord. So, uh, so there, Jesus is the mediator. You know, it, it tells us in Joel, and remember, Joel is another Old Testament scripture. And it talks about in Joel how he, he couldn't find an umpire, he couldn't find a mediator. You know, and he was talking about man not being able to find that. But you know, he found a mediator. He found the umpire. And it wasn't Moses, although Moses filled that bill when there wasn't one. The one that filled that bill was Jesus. The Bible says concerning Jesus that he is seated at the right hand of Father God right now. And do you know what his duty is right now? Because he's not up there paying the penalty for our sin because that's already been paid for. He's up there at the right hand of Father God on high. It says making intercession for you and me. And so we have an intercessor. His name is Jesus. He is pleading our case, but he, he, he's, he's basically pleading in the same way that Moses did, only he's got a stronger, a stronger argument. Moses' argument was, God, if you destroy this people, what's Pharaoh gonna say? Pharaoh's gonna say, see, he couldn't set the people free, so he took them out and he took them out into the wilderness and he destroyed them. 
Jesus has got a better argument for us. And so if, if, G, if God's wrath in any way, shape, or form would ever come down upon us, Jesus, our intercessor, his response was, Father, that was laid on me. That's already taken care of. The penalty has already been paid because I took that penalty upon myself. Now, I don't know about you. I like that. All I have to say about that is, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, but oftentimes what we do is we don't give Jesus the credit that he deserves. You know, in the, in the book of Revelation, it talks about how uh, during the seven years of tribulation, there is going to be a personality loose on the earth. And that personality is going to be the Antichrist. But Paul has said in his teachings that in the last days, in the days that we're in, <clears throat> there are many Antichrists that have been loosed in the earth. Now that sounds like a really big deal, but, and it is. But what we need to understand is Antichrist basically means anti-anointing, anti-Jesus. And so what the, the spirit of Antichrist wants to work into your life and into my life, it wants to convince us that the anointing of Jesus, the anointing that was upon Jesus wasn't enough. That we've got to do something to fill the gap, to fill the bill. Well, Jesus filled the gap. There is no longer any gap. There is no longer any need uh, because Jesus has taken care of it all. So under the new covenant, many of those intercessory principles that were applied under the old covenant that we try to take and bring over into the new covenant really don't apply anymore because Jesus fulfilled those things. Now again, I want to emphasize the fact I'm not saying that we're not supposed to intercede. We are to intercede. I spent the day interceding. You know, because when I hear of somebody in our body that is, that is sick, that is uh, being attacked of the devil, um, I intercede for them. But I also recognize that I'm not the mediator. Christ is. And so what I ask in Jesus' name is going to be done. And so I believe that as I approach God, I approach the throne of grace to receive help for that individual in the time of need. And I come into agreement with what they're believing for. I believe that we're going to see the manifestation of that. But you know what? I don't have to try to convince God to bring healing into somebody's life. Because God has already demonstrated his will for them to be healed by the very fact that Jesus took the stripes upon his back. When you say, well, pastor, that's Jesus. Everything that Jesus did, he did performing the will, the purpose, the plan of the Father. And you want to know what the will of the Father is? Look at Jesus. If you want to know what the will of Jesus is, get sensitive to the Holy Spirit and allow him to reveal it to you because the three of them are in harmony with one another. And what he wants is, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this because it could get me in trouble. <clears throat> you know, Oral Roberts, years and years back, he preached the message and the title of the message was The Fourth Man. 
And it was the message about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how Nebuchadnezzar threw them into the fire. And, uh, and as they were in the fire, Nebuchadnezzar looked in and he said, did we not throw three men in the man into the fire? I see a fourth and he has the form of the son of God, son of man. And so he says, we need the fourth man in our life. Now don't throw anything at me. I'm not arguing with all Roberts. I would never argue with all Roberts. Amen. And in fact, I can't now because he's gone, he's with the Lord. So it wouldn't do any good. But we've got the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We need to be the fourth man. We need to get in agreement with the three of them. We need to say, what you say, I believe. What you say, I'm going to walk in. What you say, I'm going to stand upon that truth in Jesus' name. What's wrong with me tonight? I just really feel preachy. Maybe it's because it's the last night and I don't get to do this again for three months. You know, <laughs> praise the Lord. But uh, John 10, 10, oh, I, I, you're, you're teaching though, right? Okay. <clears throat> John 10, 10 says the thief has come but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. And so what we talk to God about is, Father, what do I need to change because I'm not experiencing the fullness of that abundant life? Oh, now he's done quit preaching and started meddling. But you know, God doesn't change. He's perfect. He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never going to change. And so for us to try to, to, to get God to, to change, to talk him into doing something, you know, we don't have to talk God into healing somebody. We don't have to talk God into uh, providing for somebody's need. We don't have to talk God into setting somebody free. We don't have to talk God into saving anybody. Because his will for all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth, that's his will. And so as an intercessor, if we want to use that terminology in the day that we're in today, is we're speaking out. His will to be manifested in the lives of individuals. Now, along with that, it means that we use the authority that we have in Jesus' name, the believer's authority. And what do we have authority over? We have authority over demonic forces. We have authority over any spirit that would try to dominate and control you or I. We have the authority to speak that out. And so when we're, when we're praying for the lost, we're not trying to talk God into saving them because that's his will. That's why as we shared in an earlier lesson, we take authority over the veil of darkness that's blinding their mind from understanding, from seeing the truth and the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're calling forth and we're loosing laborers to go into the harvest field to bring in the harvest, to bring in the souls. And of course, then along with that, we have to remain sensitive because remember, whatever we pray for, oftentimes we're the ones that God wants to have the legs to go. And so if we're praying for somebody to be saved, it's very likely that God's going to speak to our heart and say, go and talk to them. Go and share the good news with them. And then it's up to us to just simply be obedient. We have another example 
Turn with me to Genesis, uh, the 18th chapter. And here we have the situation where um, Sodom and Gomorrah are just despicable places and in righteous, <laughs> righteous lot. Doesn't God just blow you away? I mean, here's a guy that saturated himself in an environment of sin. And in the New Covenant, when God makes reference to Lot, he calls him righteous Lot. You see, God doesn't see us in the natural. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we see ourselves as so, so miserable. We see ourselves as such failures. We see ourselves as not achievers. We see ourselves as not being... Um, people that God would want us to be. We see ourselves in the negative, but you know how God sees us? He sees us righteous because he doesn't look at the physical. He looks at the spiritual. And you know, oftentimes, that's why we get into trouble judging one another. Now, I know I'm doesn't apply to anybody here, you know, but other Christians, you know, they, they judge one another. And the reason they get into that place where they judge one another is they, they, they're not looking at one another through the eyes of the Spirit. They're looking at the flesh. You know, and the problem with the flesh is the flesh is always going to be the flesh. Amen? And so if we want their flesh to change, we need to start looking at them through the eyes of the Spirit and stop agreeing with what we see in the flesh and start speaking over them what we see in the spirit realm. In other words, somebody's acting just rotten, miserable, terrible. And rather than agree with that and tell everybody how rotten, miserable, and terrible they are, we ought to begin to speak out what we see in the spiritual realm, which is they're a new creation in Christ Jesus. They're the righteousness of God in Christ. The greater one lives within them to empower them to live the victorious life. So let's look at Genesis, the 18th chapter. And we're going to drop down to the 23rd verse. And this is when the angel of the Lord appeared to, um, showed up at Abram's house and he cooked him a meal and, and started to talk with him and, and, and um, basically um, God said, how can I not tell Abraham uh, what we're going to do. And so he informed them that they were going to uh, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so then in the 23rd verse, it says, Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now notice what he's doing. He's interceding. He's, uh, he's bargaining with God. And so he said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spirit for the 50 righteous that, uh, they're, that they're in it? For, <clears throat> for be it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. So the righteous should be also um, as the wicked. Far be it from you. Should not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, I will, 
If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I shall spare it, uh, the place for their sake. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, if I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord, suppose there are less than 50 righteous, uh, would you destroy all the city for the lack of 50? And he said, if there are 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose that there are 40 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. And he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose there are 30 uh, should be found there. He says, I will not for 30. Indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. I will not destroy for the sake of 20. Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak, but once more, suppose there are 10 um, should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10, and he stopped speaking to him. Now, isn't it interesting? He negotiated him down to 10. I'm convinced that he was convinced that he had found 10. You know, because think about this. There was, a, there, there was Lot, and there was his wife, and there was his two virgin daughters. But Lot went out to find his son-in-laws. And so I don't know if those were men that were already picked to marry his daughters or if he had other daughters out there with their son-in-laws, you know, which would, would very easily take us up to 10 real quickly. But he couldn't find 10. And he says, I will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. You know, I hear it all the time. Well, you know, this, this United States of America is so wicked. Well, number one, we're not any more wicked than any other part of the world. And number two, I challenge you to go into any city, any town, any village in the United States of America and not find a righteous one. I challenge you. Because there are the righteous. In fact, I challenge you to go to any nation in the world and not find at least one righteous one. And so, so the point that I'm wanting to make here is the, that form of intercession really doesn't apply because the promise has already been made. The price has already been paid, made. The, the graces, the the. Uh, blessings, the giftings of God have already been poured out. And what we do by faith is we appropriate or we reach out and receive by faith what Jesus has already done. And what our intercession is, it's not begging God to do something, it's releasing him to manifest the promise that he's already poured out upon the earth on the lives of other individuals. I want my family saved. 
And so I don't pray, oh God, bring judgment down on them so they realize how rotten and miserable they are. I, I, it's been a long time ago, but I still remember being a sinner. I knew how rotten and no good and miserable I was. So they know. What they need to know is how much God loves them and what God will do on their behalf that they might be saved, that they might come to the knowledge of truth, they might live the victorious life in Christ Jesus. Look at Romans 10. And so, you know, Bible interpretation, there's some, there's some very simple, basic Bible principles principles that need to be used in Bible interpretation. Number one is context. You know, the context belief, you know, I, you know, we take scripture out of context of oftentimes. You know, but you have to be careful with that because if you, you can take a scripture out of context and you can, you can get it to say something that, it, that isn't really meant by that verse. You know, it's like, you hear people say, well, you can get the Bible to say whatever you want it to say. Well, you know what? There's an element of truth to that. You know, and of course, one of the most familiar examples of that is in the Bible, it says Judas went out and hung himself. And in another portion of Scripture, Jesus said, go ye therefore and do likewise. Totally different portions of Scripture. But see, people will take Scripture out of context to say what they want it to say. And that isn't the meaning behind it at all because we know that suicide is part of thou shalt not kill. And so it's against the will and the purpose of God that we would, we would destroy ourselves. So Bible interpretation, first of all, is context. We can take a verse and dissect and look at that verse but to get the full meaning of that verse, we've got to take it in the verses before it and the verses after it, and then the chapter, then the book that it's in. But then we also have to look in at it from the context of, is it Old Testament, is it New Testament? But then even within the New Testament, we have to look at it because the Gospels, the majority of the Gospels, are before the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so in the context of it, is it before or is it after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Because it changes everything. Now, I consider the words of Jesus to be very significant and very important. I know there, there's those out there that, that say because the words of Jesus was before his death, burial, and resurrection, it doesn't apply to us anymore. That's ignorance gone to seed and produced in a harvest. But we do also have to look at it from the standpoint that much of Jesus' teaching was prophetic. And it was speaking forward to the time that we're in. And it was speaking according to principles. It wasn't always that we practice exactly what he said, but there was a principle there that was laid down. But see, that's why we can also go back to the Old Covenant if we keep it in its proper context. And we can glean things out of that that we can apply in our life because it's the principle that's behind it. And so that's how we're able to walk in it. But here, 
In Romans, the 10th chapter, the 14th verse, it says, How then shall they call upon him whom they have not heard? Well, let me, I, I got ahead of myself. How shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? And then dropping down to verse 17, it says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so that's why it's so important that we be people of the word. You know, because where in the old covenant, it was dependent upon somebody speaking over their life or into their life. When we know what Jesus has done for us through the word of God, we're able to walk in that. We're able to experience the abundance that he's made available um, to each and every one of us. It's in your notes. I'm going to let you read that for yourself. But in number 16, it talks about Moses and Aaron and how um, they interceded for the congregation. But once, in a while, once again, I want you to, to recognize as you read through those passages later on that it was, uh, they, were, they were filling the gap, if you will. They were interceding um, for the people of Israel because of, because of their disobedience. And the other thing that we see about the people is the people were afraid to approach God. One of the things that Jesus did for us is he removed all fear. He removed all, not, now, don't misunderstand me, I have a fear of God, but it's an awe of God. It isn't a fear that God's going to come down and smack me and that God's going to bring judgment down on me because I've been, I've been judged. And so you say, well, pastor, if you, don't, if you don't fear God, why would somebody serve him? Let me tell you, fear can be a motivator, but, a, but love is a greater motivator. Love is a greater motivator. And, and the problem with so much of the church, the reason they're not motivated to serve God is because they don't know the love of God. They still, they still interpret the God of the New Testament by the stories that they've heard of God in the Old Covenant. And so they walk in fear. They, they don't have confidence. They don't have the assurance that God loves them unconditionally, but he loves us unconditionally. And so Jesus is the mediator. He's the one that's standing in the gap for you and I. Turn with me to Mark, the 16th chapter. Mark, the 16th chapter. And of course, we're, we're dropping down to the very end, to verse 20. But this is what I want us to see here because <clears throat> truth is important. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so, but what I want us to see here in this 20th verse, and they went out, and they preached everywhere the word of God with them. Let me start over again. And they went out, and they preached everywhere the Lord working with them, confirming the word with accompanying signs. In other words, the word of God has power. And that power works in our lives, but we have to, 
recognize that power. If we don't recognize the power, it's not going to produce in our lives. John 10, 38 says, But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in you. Why are, why are works so important? Works demonstrate the goodness and the power of God. You know, why, why, do we, why do we live a holy life? Why is it important that we live a holy life? Because living a holy life is demonstrating the power of God in our life because we can't live holy without His power being manifested in our life. And so we're to be a living demonstration to those around us of the goodness of God. That's why it's so important for us to make the decision that we make the determination. I am going to live the victorious life. Yes, there may be a cost involved. Yes, there are times where it may be difficult, but I am going to live the victorious life to be a demonstration of the goodness of God. First Timothy 4, 1, it says, now the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter days some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. People will depart from the faith because of things that are taking place around them. Let me tell you something about our nation. Our nation is not in the condition that it's in because God has forsaken us. Our nation is in the condition it's in because we've forsaken God. People do not struggle in their life because God has forsaken them, because God has judged them. It happens in our life because we forsake God or we allow the things of the world to come into our life and defile us. That was a point that I was making on Sunday where I was talking about the parable that Jesus said how, you know, things that come in from the outside, that's not what defiles us. What defiles us is what we see, what we hear, what we speak. Those are the things that come from within because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the things from within, those are the things that defile us. And what that means is when we allow the world to get into us, it isn't that God forsakes us because he never will. He's promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But what happens is we leave and we forsake him. As a nation, we've chosen to leave and forsake God. And so the answer isn't tragedy. The answer is that we make the determination, we make the decision that I'm, I'm, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to follow him. And you know what? We didn't get to the place where we are overnight. When something gets corrupted, it doesn't, it doesn't corrupt overnight. There's a process that takes place. And so the process that brought corruption into our nation, into our state, into our city, that corruption didn't happen overnight. It happened little by little by little. It happened one individual at a time. 
And so for us to turn it around, it's going to happen one individual at a time. You know what that means? That means it starts with me. It starts with me as I choose to follow after Jesus. It starts with each and every one of us as we choose to put Jesus first place in our life. There's things that are going on and you look at it and it's, you say it's beyond hope. Why is it beyond hope? Because we've become hopeless. It isn't because God can't do anything. It isn't because God doesn't want to do something. It's because we've sat back and we've said, no, it's hopeless. And so once, the, the moment that we say it's hopeless, we give up. And we turn it over to the devil. We need to start taking stuff back. You know, I, I just think of terminology and stuff. So much of terminology that once had a, a positive connotation to it now has a negative. Because the world got a hold of it, and, we, and because the world got a hold of it, we were afraid to use it anymore, so we just turned it over to them. It's time that we start taking our world back, and we take it for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. There's my soapbox for the evening. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils. What's a doctrine? Doctrine is a, is a truth that one has established in their life. There's a lot of people that have established what they consider to be truth in their life, and it's not. It's a lie right from the pit of hell. You know, just because, just because the majority believes something, it doesn't make it true. Just because the majority of the world believes that I evolved from a monkey doesn't make it true. I didn't evolve from a monkey. I was created by Almighty God. The breath of God was breathed into me because I'm a man. And so I didn't evolve from a monkey. And so it doesn't matter whether everybody else in the entire world believes that but me. It doesn't make it true. And you know what? That's how, that's how strong we need to believe the Word of God. We can say, well, pastor, that's just being kind of Naive, isn't that being kind of arrogant? Not if it lines up with the Word of God. You know, I remember first time I, I heard anybody speak this bold, it was uh, Kenneth Copeland. He was talking about healing. And he says, I believe so strongly in healing, but I don't believe in healing uh, because people are healed. I believe in healing because of what the Word of God says. Because the Bible declares that by the stripes of Jesus, we have been healed. That first, third John says, he desires for us to prosper and be in health, even as our soul prospers. We can come up with so many scriptures, you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It's not they might recover, they shall recover. And so we have these, these statements in the scriptures that are absolutes. And Kenneth Copeland said, you know, people that I've prayed for have died. He says, ultimately, everybody I pray for, if Jesus tarries, will die. <laughs> Eventually. 
But he says, even if everybody that I pray for, if I don't ever see a manifestation of healing and they die, I will continue to pray for the sick. Because my belief in healing isn't based on the manifestation I see. My belief in healing is based on the truth, the reality of the Word of God. And you know what? That's how convinced we need to be of every single area. There's people that'll try to talk you out of praying in tongues. They'll try to convince you that it's of the devil, that it's no longer relevant for today. But you know what? The Bible says, praying in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up in your most holy faith. It says the last command that Jesus gave just earlier in, in John 16, he says, ye shall pray in other tongues. You'll speak in other tongues. You'll lay hands on the sick. You'll cast out devils. If you think, if you eat or drink anything deadly, it's not going to harm you. And so are we convinced of that or not? We ought to be. We ought to be, you know, tongue talkers of everybody else forsakes you. If I get up on, on Sunday morning and I say, you know what? I have come to this decision. I've come to this conclusion. Tongues are no longer for today. What I hope to see, I don't hope, I wouldn't hope it. Yeah. What I hope today is what I would see would be a mass exit. That you would stand up and say, you've lost it. And you're out of here. Well, pastor, I don't know where I'd go. Find some place. Why? Because Hilton Sutton told me this 30 years ago. Is that how many years ago he was here? I don't know how many years ago it was he was here. Hilton Sutton was here. And, and there, were, there were things going on in the body of Christ. And, and so I'd driven him out to the hotel. Poor Hilton Sutton. He stayed in the Redwood. <laughs> I'm sure I really impressed him, <clears throat> you know, but, but took him out there and, and, and we got there and I, I asked him about some of the things that were going on in the body of Christ. And, and, and at first he didn't want to answer me because, you know, he's an honorable man. He wasn't going to say anything against anybody. And, and finally I said, I said, Brother Sutton, I look at you as a father in the faith. And I'm one of the sons that need some answers. You know, because at that time, I mean, I'd only been in the ministry for a few years and, and I was still wet behind the ears. I was a novice. And so I said, I look at you as a father in the faith and, and I, I need some answers. And so we, we sat outside in the car with Hilton Sutton for probably an hour and a half, two hours, and he just opened up and he began to share with me. And, we we're talking about a particular minister, and, and this wasn't a, a, a horrendous issue, but this individual had gone from being uh, post-trib to, to pre-trib in his, in his belief of end times. And Hilton just made this statement to me, and it, it has always stuck with me, and, and he said, he said, Dave, he says, be careful. If somebody 
is an heir in one area. They're susceptible to being an heir in another area. Now, in saying that, I, I just want you to know that I know that I don't have a handle on the full counsel of God. In other words, I don't know everything. I'm still learning. Until I draw my last breath, I'll still be learning. But what we need to understand, and I'm talking here uh, really about some of the, the, the basic foundational truths, and, and, and maybe you don't feel that way, but I feel like the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation is one of the basic foundational truths that if we want to live the victorious life, we need the manifestation of it in our lives. And so, you know, what are some of those basic foundational truths? Repentance from dead works. I'll tell you, if, if somebody turns around and they start preaching, you don't need Jesus, you can earn it on your own. They're... They're screwed up, big time. Turn them off. Don't listen to what they say. Listen to me. There's, there's knob, buttons, whatever it is on your, on your radio and TV and whatever else you've got. They're on there for a purpose. They're there so you can turn it on, but they're also there so that you can turn it off. And listen to me. The worst kind of junk you can fill your head with is religious, spiritual junk that has no truth to it. Because it'll, it'll mess you up. And so repentance from dead works. Faith towards God. I heard a preacher say this one time. I couldn't believe a preacher could be this stupid. He said the faith message is past. We don't need faith anymore. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So as long as we're on this earth and we're trying to please God, faith will be a necessity in our lives. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions on washings, baptisms, plural, water baptism, being baptized into Christ, being baptized in the Holy Ghost. All of those truths and principles, they're basic truths that have to be part of our lives if we're going to live the victorious life. If we're going to fulfill what we're talking about here of spiritual authority, we're going to have to know who we are in Christ Jesus. And that's mean, that means having a handle on these truths. Isn't it ironic? One of the six foundational truths of the Bible, the fourth one, is laying hands. The laying on of hands. And people try to take that away and they try to say, it's not important anymore. Well, if it's not important, why is it one of the big six? And so we're to lay hands on the sick, see them recover. We're to, there, there's to be a transfer of anointing and blessing through the laying on of hands. You know, <clears throat> I was in a meeting one time with Brother Hagin. I was sitting on the end. I was sitting in the second row. And he comes walking back. And I'm sitting there. And he, he stopped right here and he put his hand on my shoulder. And at first I went, oh, Brother Hagin is touching me. And then I went, I receive, I receive, I receive, I receive, I receive. I don't even know what he's teaching on. I didn't care what he was teaching on. His hand was on me. And I was there to receive. We need to, we need to receive. We need to, 
You are a blessing giver. Laying on of hands isn't just talking about praying for the sick. You know, when somebody is distressed or, or, or dealing with something, and you come up and you just, you just take them by the hand and you just comfort them. That, that's not just you. That's the anointing that's in you. But see, we don't, we don't have confidence that well, I don't have anything to give. Are you born again? I mean, if you need something to give, we'll, we'll pray just before we close here and we'll get you born again. And then you've got something to give because every one of us is born again believers. We have something to give. Resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Those are the foundational truths. And so when somebody begins to stray and move from those truths, you know what? It's time for you to stray and move. I'm serious. We've got a lot of people that have, that have stayed in, in an environment that was not producing anything beneficial in their life. Let me tell you, in the day that we're in, we need to be in an environment where we're hearing, where we're receiving, where we're growing, where we're maturing. And when we know we're in a time of crisis, they have something to give us. You know, it's like, I think it was Mark Brzee said one time, talking about, you know, some of the people laying hands on people. Empty hands laying hands on empty heads. They had nothing to give and they had nothing to receive it by. You see, we're givers and we're receivers. You know, we can give, but we receive as well. And we're so full, it just kind of sloshes over on everybody around us. Satan is fighting us. And that's why we need to know our spiritual authority in the name of Jesus. The Bible says there is life. There is death and life in the power of the tongue. And that's why the words that we say are so important. We need to realize the words we speak are so important. They're going to be filled with life or they're going to be filled with death. We can give people hope or we can strip them of hope. We can give them a hope for a future or we can allow them to remain in the past. 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Forever. You know what forever means? Forever. Some Minnesota Bible interpretation there. But means forever. You know what that means? That doesn't mean just in this life. That means forever. Throughout all of eternity, the Word of God will abide. It will never be irrelevant. It will never lose its effectiveness. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. I'm going to high note some of the passages as we're closing. Do not, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. What does that mean? You hang around evil, evil will affect you. You don't have to say, oh, I received that evil. No, it will affect you. It will corrupt you. And so we need to be selective. The environment that we're in, 
what we hear, what we see. Grace and peace, 2 Peter 1, 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied. But how am I going to increase? How am I going to experience that multiplication of grace and peace in my life? It's going to be through Christ Jesus. It's going to be through the Word of God. There's no other way for it to come into our life. We have a world that is void of peace because they're void of Jesus. We, in the most difficult circumstances and situations in our life, we can have peace because it isn't dependent upon the circumstances. It's what we know through the Word of God. Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be spiritually minded. What do we, what do we focus on? Do we focus on the things of God or do we focus on the things of the world? What, what dominates our thought life? You know, because obviously we can't walk around all day long with, with our Bible open in front of us, walking around. I mean, I'm a pastor and I can't even do that. You know, you run into things. You know, but we can't do that. But what can we do? We can continually think upon the things of God. And through that thinking, through that meditating, we'll grow in our knowledge of Him and we'll experience the abundance of the victory that has been made available to each one of us through Christ Jesus. So, you have spiritual authority because you're a believer. But in order to exert that authority, you have to know that it belongs to you. And that you've been given the right, the privilege, to use that authority in the name of Jesus. And so as we do that, we'll experience greater victory in our life. You know what happens when we begin to experience that? When something happens, oftentimes there's a negative vocabulary that comes flying out of our mouths. But you know what? When we're full of the Word of God, when something comes against us, it's His vocabulary that becomes flowing out of our mouths. So it isn't a matter... It, it, isn't, it isn't so much having to be able to say chapter and verse. But it's knowing the reality of the Word of God so that that Word comes out of us. And it comes out of us with authority. Because we know that Jesus is going to do exactly what He said He was going to do. Amen? Amen? So Father, we thank You for this series. I trust that it's ministered to the hearts and to the minds of of each individual that's heard them. Father, I pray that we'll walk in that authority that has been given to us, that has been provided for us. Father, we want to be your vessels to demonstrate your victory throughout this world that we live in. We want to impact the lives of others. And so use us to that end, Father. And Father, you will receive all the glory and all the honor 
In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Well, God bless you. Um, have a good summer of Wednesdays, but remember, we still have church on Sunday. So, uh, see you then.